Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, the body positive, sex positive show with your host Jenny Lynn and Auntie Vice. This show contains explicit language, not suitable for most minors or easily offended majors. It contains opinionated discussion about politics, race, sex, fat folks, gender, which may not be suitable for conservatives. Additionally, some shows may contain references to science, statistics, history, research, mathematics, and reality, which may not be suitable for American evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, Episode 2. Thank you for coming back to join us for a second show. I'm your host, Auntie Vice, here with my sexy co-host, Jenny Lynn. I'm Jenny Lynn, and we are so excited to have you on this show. We are going to have April Lauren today, and we're going to have Anne Yes on our Because I Got High story. Uh, I'm really excited to have April on uh, to talk about her Cushing story, so... It'll be awesome. So today we're talking about health because uh, just because we are bigger girls does not mean we don't care about health and it doesn't mean we can't be healthy. And there's a lot of myths and misconceptions around being fat. Um, so we're going to start with our fat stories. So Jenny, do, do tell. What, what is your history with your, your body type and were you always heavy? Did you get heavy later on? Have you always been your lovely, fabulous self and loved yourself? As a toddler, my nickname was Thunder Thighs. <clears throat> I don't know. And then somehow the rest of my body got proportionally bigger. Um, I had gynoclamastia very early. And that means you have like big titty syndrome um, and you have like extra estrogen. And so I started carrying a lot of extra weight in my midsection. And that's been a constant frustration. Um, and then I got a little um, hotatious and had to go on the birth control and that triggered my hormones some more. Yeah, uh, the birth control wasn't good. So I'm bigger, um, always above or right at average. And have you always been comfortable with your body? Because now you do some pinup work, you dress to the nines when you do the show, you have the girls out and about. Okay, so like that was... That was a New Year's resolution choice, though. Mm -hmm. um, someone saw me out at a show that I was hosting, and they're like, oh, I didn't recognize you. You're usually so dressed up. And I had like a three-month-old child, and I almost punched the bitch in her face. I won't shout out her name. She's like in our scene still. And I was like, oh, and it was it was late in the year. And I was like, New Year's resolution. Don't step out fucked up. Like, I'm just going to do this all the time. I'll show her. She doesn't even know. She's fucking clueless. Like, she's still clueless. Um, But yeah, and no, I wasn't comfortable. I I wasn't comfortable. When I first started in the scene, I wore uh, baseball caps and like really like jeans all the time and hand painted like t-shirts because i used to paint t-shirts on an artisty level i was like yeah rock your own shit you gotta promote so this dress thing is new and when did you get you've been naked on stage or largely naked on stage yes when did you get comfortable enough to to bear it to the public when my comfortable husband was comfortable with me bearing it to the public <laughs> I'm not shy. I'm totally an exhibitionist. I was like the girl that didn't need to go to Mardi Gras or get beads or win a free Girls Gone Wild t-shirt. Like, yep, these are my tits. Look at them. You're welcome. I'm really like body, don't care, like not a nudist because I'm not trying to watch out my, like, my pussy out there. This is not cute. That's like cover that up. You know, that's not for everybody. Um, boundaries. Um, but yeah, like free the nipple. Don't care. And 
you started on an, another part of your health journey recently. Do you want to talk about that and why we are eating low-carb buffalo cauliflower and not cookies on this segment? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I've been killing myself softly with carbs for a really long time. When we order pizza, we get the breadsticks, the pasta, and um, the sugary fucking dessert treat thing, mm-hmm. and the dip, and like all the stuff, and with soda and everything. We just eat it all. Um, and it's been adding up, and I realized I, I turned 35, and I stepped on the scale and I realized I weighed more than I did when I was fully pregnant and like birthing my child. And that was like the heaviest I've ever been. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that number, but it was like in the double like deuce digit situation. Like there's a two in that number. And I'm like, ooh, that's not that's not it right now. I need to like work on that because I was athletic. I was played tennis. I ran track. I did all the shit. I did, and then I blew out my knees. And so I was like, oh, it just hurts to do the things I like to do, you know? And so I stopped mm-hmm. doing them. Yeah. And, but you've been working out. Yeah. I work out low carb. Working day. for you? Yeah. So I, I cut the carbs out. I've lost 30 three pounds in two and a half months the invisible crowd goes wild um it's like it's working like yeah and i knew like i always knew in the back of my mind like oh you don't work out as soon as you work out you could get like gym ripped you could be that bitch but like i i think my body type uh, i just i don't know i i've never had abs or anything like what the fuck are abs like i'm just you know yeah i posted a picture and someone's like your boobs aren't shrinking i was like no i had those before i was fat like there was just like a thing um so yeah the low carb i really like the diet i don't really like the bread shit and all that other that was like a and how are you is it all about the numbers on the scale or is health more than that for you i didn't even give a fuck about the scale until the scale started moving at its own will and i was all ha 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 i'm shrinking like beast mode and i feel really I, i joined a second gym (laughs) and now i go to both of them all the time i went to the gym three times when i had a bipolar manic day the other day i was like yeah i'll just get on the elliptical machine (laughs) and run 12 miles like it was great um it's working moments yeah yeah so it's been good for like mental clarity um and i have ocd so it's kind of actually triggered my mental health like you know i'm super overly focused Mm -hmm. on it and i'm like yeah i'll do this like my body is a video game look what i can do i lost three today i'll lose two-thirds of a pound tomorrow (laughs) and i did like (laughs) have you heard about intermittent fasting yeah i shouldn't have heard about fucking intermittent fasting (laughs) it's a problem yeah that's what i'm doing it's working good good all the shit the fit board the fucking stretchy bands the yoga with my kid in line at the grocery store we look fucking nuts (laughs) waving tree pose and shit in the grocery store don't give a fuck (laughs) okay so you have been on a medical journey for a really long time and i've seen pictures of you in your youth and you are a fucking amazon goddess like from the womb and i want to know how your medical journey has affected your health and how you're handling your transformation and owning yourself 
so I was one of those really fit kids in high school. I had abs. I'm seeing if I can find my old, I, I was on swim team. Um, and I mean, I wasn't fantastic, but I could work out except for the butterfly. And my sister told me I did the dead moth instead. <laughs> She's way funnier than I am. I love my sister. Um, and when I was, by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was like six feet tall. And at 150, I thought I was fat. Like, I wish I was back to feeling fat at 150 than what I am today. Um, Worked out all the time. I kept it up when I went to college. I was on the fencing team in college. And then, um, yeah, I like to stab people. Uh, She'll cut you. (laughs) I will cut a bitch. Uh, And that is not gender specific. (laughs) (laughs) Just to clarify. Um, But I had had symptoms of bipolar since I was a kid. Like, I can remember being like 11, having my first kind of bipolar break thing. Um, And when I got into college, it got really bad. And after a suicide attempt, I decided I might need some help. Um, So I started trying to figure out what was going on. And I actually had to end up changing my major from genetics to psychology to figure out my own shit because the doctors were no help. Like I went into the student health clinic and I saw the psychiatrist there and I told him I was seeing frogs that were walking around my feet and telling me shit to do because there was a psychotic component to it. And he told me that it was because um, chemistry and math are hard for girls. And if I shifted to something more appropriate, like an English major or K-12 education, the hallucinations would go away. So I had to specify I wasn't taking the chemicals in chem lab. Like <laughs> <laughs> math is not that fucking oh hard, goodness. you douchehead. And then I went to, an, you know, I went to a, see a psychologist, and you know, she did the whole interview, and I was talking about depression and suicide. And she, at the end of the thing, she goes, "Well, you know, you said you were bipolar, uh, or uh, you were bisexual in the beginning of this this interview, and I really think that's where all your depression comes from." Like. Here's a number to a coming out group. They've been really helpful for some of my other clients. I think you should call them. It was my home phone number because I was the one who led the fucking group. But bisexual is not a real identity to her. And like, if that's not help yourself message from the fucking universe. So I switched to psychology and I figured out I have like every symptom of bipolar. So I went to a psychiatrist finally and I said, I think I'm fucking bipolar. And he said, why? I'm like, bloop, 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 down the DSM-4 at the time. And he's like, yeah, you sound it. And he started me on lithium, um, which is an awful fucking drug. I hated it. Threw up every day and still gained weight. Um, And so first year on lithium, I put on about 60 pounds. And they said, well, that's normal with lithium. And the other thing is it threw off my balance. So I like couldn't walk a straight line. So things like running and shit were out. And... um, so it was 20 years to find a med uh, regimen for bipolar that like kept me stable, where I wasn't freaking out, why I wasn't having side effects that I hated. And through that, they kept putting me on other shit. And a lot of drugs for bipolar cause weight gain because they fuck up your metabolism and your hormones. And like, doctor put me on Seroquel and I gained 60 pounds in three months without like trying. And I'm like, I, I can't keep taking this. He's like, no, you just need to go to the gym more. Like if you're, if it's, if you're fat, it's your fault. And a year later, Seroquel was sued because 30% of their patients gained 100 pounds or more in the first year, and it caused diabetes. Um, but it, of course, it was my fault for not trying hard enough. So then I, you know, I kept working and trying to keep it down, and I could lose a little weight here and there. 
And about five years ago, I started getting really sick, like physically sick. So I went into the doctors to figure out what's going on. And they kept blowing me off. Um, I was told by two physicians at UC Davis that if you have a mental health diagnosis on your record and you're a woman, we just assume you're here for attention. And I'm like, bitch, I'm working with the White House on a policy initiative. Like, if I have attention problems, you, you're not going to fill it. Like, you are so short on this list of who I need attention from. Um, <laughs> I went into another doctor because I had uh, my mouth uh, changed, something was wrong, and I couldn't stand the way anything tasted, so I had stopped eating for four days, and I couldn't stay awake. Um, I had stopped going to the gym, and I went in with these complaints, and in 90 seconds of being in the room with me without ever having met me before, he said, oh, you're just middle age and you're fat. If you'd learned to go to the gym and eat right, you'd be fine. And I was like, that's why I'm here, is I'm having problems doing those things that I always do. And then he had to call and tell me that um, I was positive uh, for an indicator of an autoimmune disorder, and then... They, they weren't helping and weren't helping. I finally demanded a CT scan. And so they did it. And then my doctor had to call me and say, well, you have two lung masses. I guess you weren't making everything up. Like, it's this incredible dismissal. And so finally, five years later, like, the pieces start falling together. And it looks like I have Cushing's, which is um, a condition where your body produces too much cortisol. So I'm always in fight or flight. And... The primary symptom is weight gain. And I've gained another like 45 pounds in the last three or four years that I can't take off. Um, but they missed it because they kept looking at the scale and say, well, you just need to lose weight. And about four years ago, I'm like, okay, I'm getting really serious about this. And I was going to the gym five, six days a week, running 60 miles a month, right. yoga. I was maintaining a six to 800 calorie a day diet. That's more than a deficit. Right. Well, and at the time I was like um, six feet tall, 270 pounds. So like I should be losing weight by breathing at that point. And I gained four pounds after six months and I went back to the doctor and they said, well, you must be mismeasuring your food. You're not working out as hard. You know, it's your fault. And so when it finally all came together, I went and I said, I have every symptoms of cushions, including fucking high cortisol. And you've missed it because you kept ignoring the weight gain. And that was all you were focused on. And it's been hard. Like, you know, I grew up in a family where weight was a bad thing. Like, you were a bad person if you gained weight. And my mom and her three sisters were all models when they were teenagers and all that. Um, and so it was just assumed that, you know, I was lazy and everything. And it's like, that that's not me. It was actually medical issues with this. So, you know, I'm trying to get the medical profession to solve something that they, they're unwilling to solve. Like, they won't work with me on it, and it's incredibly frustrating. So at this point, I just go for feeling as good as I can. Like, every chance I get, I can do yoga or I do a run. Um, actually, our, our lovely sound man, my man, and I are working towards a 5K um, here in Sacramento and stuff. But it's more about how do I feel? Can I get up? Can I function? Um, and can I continue to fight these things? Well, and so the scale has just started meaning, been pretty meaningless. Like, the last time I went into my doctor... Um, he goes, oh, it looks like you've lost two pounds, which is when you're 301 pounds, that's, that's less than 1% of your body weight. And I just looked at him and I said, well, I think that's what hope weighs because that's the only thing I've lost since I've been seeing you. <laughs> he didn't know how to respond. It's like, fuck you, motherfucker. By the way, I have this documented for my malpractice attorney. Thank you, asshole. Um, so it's, it's more about figuring out what it's going to take to keep me going. And I use a lot of alternative 
supplements and Reiki and massage and yoga and all of that because I respond well to it. It's just not enough to counteract some of the stuff my body's doing. And then what is it with the nutrition that you're doing to impact your health? So I'm a big believer that food is the first medicine and I use it actually, it works really well to control bipolar and pain and stuff. So, you know, largely vegetarian, um, high fiber, high protein. Um, I cook everything from scratch. I even do my own stocks. I'm, I will make my own butter on occasion. Like I am committed, committed. to knowing what's in my body. Um, so I do that and you know, it does make me feel better if I watch what I eat and everything like that. It doesn't change the numbers on the scale, but physically like, I, I tell people the older you get, the more simple your life gets. And like at 25, a good day was like, I got a raise or I got a date with a hot girl or something. At 44, if I have a great cup of coffee and a good shit in the morning, like my day is solid. Like that, day. That's all I need for a good day. Um, so I do try to manage that with, with food and, and exercise and all of that. And then because of your medical journey, what advice can you give people out there to keep the medical professionals accountable and and to keep them going? Always go in with an advocate. I actually have my mom come with me. Um, she is a psychologist. She's trained clinicians for over 25 years. So I have her come in with me so she can give pushback too and say, no, 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 like, you're being a bitch to the patient. And as a clinician and a doctor, you know, this is what I need to tell you. Like, you know, so always have an advocate with you. Um, and you know your body. Your doctors come in and act like they know everything about you because they spent three minutes with you and looked at your chart for two minutes. You've lived in your body for however old you are. You know when something's off. Like, and we've moved away from people who can diagnose. They function on an algorithm. And if you have a top 10 disease, great. They'll help you. They'll figure it out and move on. Beyond that, they're not going to do. So you have to keep pushing um, and, and working towards it and just document everything. Like I've documented the shit out of this. Like in a medical journal? Mm-hmm. Well, I keep mine online just because I'm lazy. But it's like I saw or this efficient. doctor about this I issue. Mean, Here are the photographs of whatever's wrong with my body this time. Um, Do you request medical like documentation back yeah. from your files regularly? Or every, like every time? Every time. And like the last time I went in to see a specialist, um, you know, they gave me the post-appointment summary. Right. I found seven major medical errors, including a, a diagnosis that it wasn't even brought up. They just assumed I had and put it on there. And it's like... So, because they're looking at me and they're trying to fit me into their model mm -hmm. rather than look at me as a patient. And I think that happens a lot with heavier people. It's like, well, you have to be diabetic. You must have high blood pressure, right? And these are not things that I have, but the, they had it that I was on diabetes medication and stuff. And I'm like, fuck, my blood sugar is normal, you asshole. Like, this would be a major <laughs> problem if I go in for surgery. Like, uh, I still get the diabetes phone calls from when I had gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. they, they they survey me and want to sell me stuff seven years later. I'm like, nope, I had it. We're done. Like, it's good. I, leave me alone. I, I'm, we're doing this. So, so, yeah, I mean, being heavy can make it harder to get reasons. You know, you and I have very different journeys in that way. Um, but, you know, you still have, you face the bigotry when you come in. So... Are, are you able now, have you broken the, the bigger stigmas with your family? They still react oddly 
to me, but I, I don't see most. My, my it's fa- not like the tattoos and my, the haircut and like the my family are the, the people choices. who fucked up this country. I, I fully own it. Like my extended family, they're the conservative evangelical Christians who still defend Trump and the world is flat. Like documented slaveholders. Like my family is the fucked up people in this country. That that's the reason they're the problem. So I don't actually talk to to most of them. I, yeah. I avoid them at, at most cases. My parents have come around. My mom and dad are, are great mm-hmm. um, and have become really supportive, but they've had to get used to it. Like, I came out as queer at 13. I've come out as kinky. I've come out as poly. I like, I like the last time I had to come out, I don't even remember what it was about. I looked at my mother and I said, You've been through this before. You know the stages. Like, just go do it and we'll talk in like a few days. <laughs> and, and she's been awesome. So, do you think that, um, coming out in those different stages and being so open about it has contributed to your healthier lifestyle like that you could just like live and i was born with the amazing ability to not give a fuck Mm -hmm. like i don't notice other people staring at me i don't like if i want to do something i just do it like yeah i'll figure out this out and that's how i've always been like i think the only thing i'm afraid of is like having to bring like potato salad to a cookout like that would intimidate me <laughs> but short of that i think you know there, there's not much that scares me and it's probably not great for self-preservation but it, you know i just do what i want to do and I, i'm damn determined to figure out what's going on and how to feel good well we have a wonderful show for everybody who's joining us today uh stay tuned through the break and we'll be back with april lauren Welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. I'm here with Bevan from Fat Kids Dance Party. Welcome to the show. Hi, happy to be here. It's great to have you here. So for our listeners who are not familiar with Fat Kids Dance Party, you are basically a low impact aerobic workout class that you started and you embrace awkwardness and help people get comfortable in their own bodies and create workouts that are available for all bodies, correct? That is correct. I will give one minor shift is that technically the class is moderate impact because low impact means absolutely no impact. Uh, This is what I learned when I got certified as a group exercise instructor. Moderate Uh impact is where you never have two feet off the floor. So there's no jumping, but there is a lot of like, you know, I do a lot of standard pretty aerobic moves, but nothing jumping is always optional. So that's why I say moderate impact, but people are completely welcome to do it from a chair, to do it with no jumping. The step touch, I like to call the child's pose of Fat Kid mm-hmm. Dance Party because if you don't know the moves, you can just step touch. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you started this, going through high school and stuff when you were thinking about your career, did you want to be a physical trainer? Did you want to get into that line of work or was this something that came up later in life? Okay, this was never in my life. <laughs> Even three years ago, if you had told me I was going to move to LA, I was living in Brooklyn at the time and I was a lawyer. And mm-hmm. um, if I, if you had told me I was going to move to LA, become an aerobics instructor and a Reiki master, I would have laughed my head off. And yet here I am on this life path that I did not anticipate. I think there's a lot of us out there that are like that. What? Get, I mean, that's a huge dr- jump. Not only did you do coast to coast, but you radically changed your career after investing a lot in the education and the licensing and everything to become a lawyer. What inspired that move? 
I mean, it was a huge investment. I still haven't paid it off. Uh, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to writing. I like to just imagine the day I'm writing one check to pay off my whole student loan. Um, but what inspired it? It was really following my truth and my, um, and the true and my true calling. I think mm-hmm. um, a lot of us get really caught up, uh, myself included, in the shoulds of life. So yeah. I really. When I was um, in high school, I was, you know, a perfectionist overachiever in leadership. I was doing all the things to make up for being fat. And I think um, many people can relate to the idea that, you know, because you're fat or you're gay or in my case, both, um, mm-hmm. doing a lot to kind of overcompensate for this thing that you think will disappoint the people who love you. And mm-hmm. um, I just kept going with that idea of how I was going to run my life just to, to sort of be like, look, look at what I can do. So... And uh, I had been told in much of my undergraduate that I should go to law school. And so I just kind of absorbed that I would be great at being a lawyer. And so I went to law school. I knew um, and I grew up in California. So moving across the country to law school was possibly the best choice I ever made, just simply because mm-hmm. moving allowed me to reinvent myself. So in many ways, I was in law school and by year two, I'd really found who I was. I'd real I'd fallen in with the right crowd who mm-hmm. said that I was fat and that was okay. Like who cared like about my body, like my body was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and they affirmed my family identity and my queer identity. And so I was like coming into my own and at the same time studying law. And I knew by that time, by the time I knew who I was, I also knew being a lawyer wasn't the right choice for me, but I also felt it was too late to change because I didn't want to pay <laughs> off all those loans from the first year. So, right. And right. I have a friend who is still paying off her loans from her first year. She dropped out when I would have. And so I mm-hmm. just went forward and I allowed law to be the career that paid for my art and activism and mm-hmm. paid for me to pursue my truth in the world. And then as I continue to pursue my truth, I just, you know, was following my calling Moving across the country was something my partner wanted to do. And I, it wasn't, I knew it, New York wasn't forever for me, but mm-hmm. I also wasn't like ready to give up the, the so-called stability of having a gig that paid as well as being a lawyer. Um, and right. it's not like I was ever rolling in it by that point in my career. I was definitely just not working a lot so I could focus most of my time on art and activism. You know, when you're half in, half out, you can't do anything except the hokey pokey. That's what I right. to say. So I really wasn't making traction in that career and moving across the country was daunting, but possible. And mm-hmm. I knew in my heart of hearts that taking the bar was not for me. So I chose not to do that. And when I got here, you know, it, I was taking dance aerobics classes because movement is such an important and vital part of my self-care for my mental and emotional health. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I just was like, who's left behind? What can, can we do? Can I do this? How dare I become a dance aerobics instructor? But then I was like, well, actually, there's just like tons of people out there who I think would enjoy this if it was presented in a different way than it usually is. That's really cool. Yeah. You talk about living your truth and, and coming into this. Recently on your webpage, you had a post about how you went about that and kind of the five things that you incorporated. And I thought it was kind of brilliant the way you laid it out. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? So the tools that I use, and this is like to know what I really want, but it's also, these are also great tools to just start the journey of figuring out who the F you are and maybe just what Mm -hmm. you want, not what you really want. Cause I want it all. So I have to really drill down into what I really want. 
Uh-huh. So the first tool is to journal. I love a free form journaling, just like from the heart, let it pour out. Even if it's gibberish, mm-hmm. especially if it's gibberish, just let the gibberish be on the page because the more you do that, the more connected you get to your true self. Um, just letting your true self sort of have a venue. There's something very pen to paper is something very like primal and it really can right. tap into who you really are. I also make a list of what I want and then think through my capacity um, mm-hmm. and then recreate the list in priority order. Making priorities is always very heartbreaking for me. So I have to leave some space to grieve the stuff I'm not going to do right now mm-hmm. because I want to prioritize the things I, I need to prioritize in order to get done. At some point soon, I'm going to have a full-time staff of five and then I can do all the right. things. But right now, until then, right, yeah. until then, I got to really focus on what's, what's working for me. And what I can get done processing with a friend, regardless of what they think. Usually when I'm talking through stuff, I get my clarity. And also it's just helpful to have friends, especially when you're in a good space, identify who in your life can be your body positive allies, people Mm -hmm. who aren't going to shame you or should you and people who are just going to be unconditionally loving and supportive. Like those friends that I talked about earlier, the the right group of friends who just support you for who you are process with them. Don't process with the people who are just going to judge you. I also pray. I pray a lot part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I pray for clarity and usually just a simple ask. And then anytime I want to repray for something that hasn't happened yet, I like to reframe it as a thank you for and just affirm that that answer is coming for me because Mm -hmm. part of my faith practice is really believing. And so I think when you pray for something, you get the opportunity to have given the ask. And then I like to just confirm that the ask is coming by a thank you prayer instead of just continuing to ask. In, in some ways, it's like the faith renewing the faith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I also seriously meditation daily. When I'm off my meditation roll, it really does affect my life. And so even though I still identify as a shitty meditator, um, mm-hmm. because I sit down and my thoughts go everywhere, it's just part of the process. It's okay to be shitty at meditating. Um, oh, yeah. The trying yeah. is all all that's required for the magic of meditation. Well, and it takes so long to develop the ability to quiet the mind. Just the practice of getting there, I find immensely helpful. Mm-hmm. You talk about falling in with the right group of friends, you know, body positive, who are affirming your identities. So I want to kind of start with the idea of being queer and femme. Is there a different aesthetic for queer women? Like, you're you're of a younger generation of coming out queer, like, when I came out 30 years ago, there was definitely a queer aesthetic. We had like four haircuts to choose from in the vest with nothing underneath. Um, <laughs> Dorothy Allison talked about when she came out in the 70s, she would wear mm-hmm. the flannel. She was supposed to, but she was oh, yeah. like a lacy bra peeking out from underneath. And that's how she flagged them. Exactly. So when you were coming out and meeting up with, you know, these these people who are affirming your identity and stuff was, did it change what you saw as what bodies were acceptable? Yeah. I think in many ways it made everything possible for me. I grew up, uh, I came out 20 years ago. So I love that you came out 30 years ago. I love Mm -hmm. our generations and the people coming out now, like how, what a different experience to come out when you can get legally married. I never thought I'd be legally married. I never thought that would be a right available to me. And here we are 2018. It's crazy. Yeah. I would say when I came out, I had a similar experience. There was definitely a very limited, what I felt was socially acceptable way to be gay. 
And uh, I think we weren't even using the term queer in a mainstream way yet, um, yeah. or at least in a socially acceptable amongst us way. There mm-hmm. was definitely, um, I came out in a small college town in Davis, California. And I didn't know you and I went to the same undergrad. Oh my God, really? Go eggs. <laughs> I love that. Um, That's hysterical. That is hysterical. So I uh, graduated in 2000. Mm-hmm. And I came out in 98. And there was definitely like in the culture there, which I'm sure has shifted by now, but we, mm-hmm. there was an anti-butch femme aesthetic. So it was like butch femme theme yeah. and then it went and then it became hippie granola or mm-hmm. like more androgynous, like cargo shorts and white tank tops. And right. that neither of those really worked for me. So I did the best I could to like hide my fat body in men's old Navy clothing, which I thought mm-hmm. was like striking some kind of balance, but it wasn't who I was. And mm-hmm. I remember being called a lipstick lesbian as uh, an insult. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Well, I still don't like that term because like, I just feel like people use it as an insult when femme is like this embrace of femininity and like, however it shows up. And it, mm-hmm. there's no one right way to be femme. You don't have to wear makeup to be femme. You no. don't even have to code femme or appear femme in order to be femme. You get to be you. And if you say you're right. femme, that's plenty. And so that's what I love about like a femme identity is that it's just this expansive femininity that is truly all inclusive. It is not gender specific and it Mm -hmm. is, it speaks a name and an embrace to all of the myriad beautiful ways there are to have a queer gender. I, you know, I think you, you've nailed it with that. And what was interesting to me as I'm going through your sites and doing some of the research for this is you really embrace the femme and f- in the queer community for me being heavier, it would have been easier to be butch. Mm, yeah. That totally. seemed much more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so coding femme and appearing femme and embracing that as you came more into that identity and, and more grounded in that identity, did you become more comfortable in your body or was it something you had to fight with? I came to femme and fat at the same time. So okay. it was like, I came out as both. In, mm-hmm. in this way where it was like, I'm going to be femme and I'm going to be fat and I'm not going to hide it anymore. was like such mm-hmm. a revelation for me. It is a hundred percent easier in the queer community to be fat and masculine presenting. I just think, mm-hmm. and I think that's true in the world. I have a lot of friends who have transitioned to male so mm-hmm. living their lives in the larger society as male now as a fat person versus mm-hmm. a fat woman um, mm-hmm. that or woman presenting person. I Mm -hmm. feel like I've heard from them. There's just such a different experience of life. Like oppression is just different. uh, Mm -hmm. And you don't feel it as much because I think women are expected to be more societally appropriate or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course in the queer community, there's also a lot of masculine privilege, especially with desire privilege. Uh, Oh yeah. So I feel like, you know, my partner and I have an open relationship and she's a thin butch and I'm Mm -hmm. fat femme. And I'm like, listen, I'm a specialty food. Like, not everybody's hot for this. And you can go out and like get anybody because like mm-hmm. that's that's where the privilege lies. And it's I encourage people to interrogate that privilege. For me, becoming coming out as fat and femme at the same time helped me interrogate like what I found attractive and like mm-hmm. why I had ever even looked at a Playboy magazine for something that was coding desire when like I could totally just get rid of the bullshit and really focus in on what I truly found attractive rather than allowing oppression to dictate where my desires went. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
So you moved to LA and then you decide you want to teach this, this class. Mm-hmm. Now, when I've been in LA and worked down there, it is the land of the uber thin, highly stylized, body altered folks. Like fat in LA is thin everywhere else in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have a friend who works down there and she always says, Oh, congratulations, food eater. Like it's a special <laughs> class of people outside of LA. Mm-hmm. So when you approached the gym and said, hey, I want to start this and, you know, make a, a good space for people with bigger bodies, what was the reaction? Well, I think what was special about how I started it was I started it at a gym that really wanted to be inclusive of queer people and mm-hmm. different size bodies. So I think in many ways I did them a favor by saying, here's some fat content for you. <laughs> that The gym thing, like the venue was like on, on lock. And I think... In many ways, you know, again, I'm a person of faith, so I feel mm-hmm. like it wasn't a coincidence that the person starting the gym had literally just started dating a good friend of mine uh, that I had known for 12 years. So mm-hmm. that like all sort of lined up really well. And I was like perfect for their programming. And it was a great place for me to get started. Mm-hmm. And then around New Year this year, I just decided I wanted to expand it because I wanted it to be more of a fat clubhouse. That was always the vibe I wanted. I didn't want to mm-hmm. vibe. the gym vibe was fine. Like it was a great place to start because like, you know, there is an existing aerobics class format, right? So, right. so starting at a gym was fine. And especially at a gym that like overtly says that it's inclusive of all bodies and all genders. And it's nice mm-hmm. that there aren't gendered restrooms there. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. But I really wanted it to have a fat clubhouse vibe. So Together with some of my regular class members, we I, I let them like sponsor the fitness floor that I needed to do it at the local plus size clothing store, which is mm-hmm. the plus bus here in L.A. And they like basically they have a concrete floor. And I was like, we can't do aerobics on concrete. So we bought a four hundred dollar right. fitness floor, many of my regular sponsored tiles, and they all have their signatures on them. And, and it really is like a clubhouse in many ways. Like I always saw it in my head as like a bunch of fat kids in middle school in the basement partying with a light, like just a little laser light thing. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's so heartwarming and homey and everyone has such a good time. And we've been doing, I've been teaching this class for about almost a year and a half and it's like there are real friendships forming and mm-hmm. it's really the community that I always like wanted it to be. And now that I've been touring the class um, and I'm going to places again, I'm, I'm, you know, recirculating through my tour. I'm seeing uh-huh. that happening with other places too, where people are meeting at Facted Dance Party and seeing each other again and then making those community connections, even in places I don't live. You have a couple of, upcoming dates and performances. Where are you going to be and where can people find you? Okay. So first and foremost, I have a workout video coming out at the beginning of July. So Uh if people want to work out with me from literally anywhere in the whole wide world, please go to fatkiddanceparty.com and buy my workout video. I, this has been, this was a crowdfunded project, which was also through a lot of (laughs) sweat equity funding. Um, Mm -hmm. and like working really hard to make the most beautiful, video that I possibly could. And I think people, every time I show people the current cut of the stretching video, their mm-hmm. minds are blown that this is even a thing that exists. It's just a radical amount of body acceptance, body love, and literally physically moving our bodies together. And I think mm-hmm. people are going to love it. And I really, as much as people can go buy it, share it with your friends, 
tell people about it so that we can really start this revolution. And in addition to that, I'm touring to support the video. So I'm mm-hmm. creating these pods of communities. I'll be in um, Portland on July 14th. I'll be in Seattle on July 21st. I will be in Cleveland on August 3rd. And I'll be in Atlanta on August 10th. And so those are like my main summer tour dates. That's great. We'll have a link up to the video and where you can purchase it on our podcast site as well to send folks over there. And if you have a chance, listeners, go go check out FatKidsDanceParty.com. Bevan is amazing. It's an amazing project she's working on. You have been fantastic, and thanks for connecting with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And also, really appreciate all the work you're doing in the world and everything that you do to empower people to love themselves. Oh, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. Thanks for joining us for our episode on health today. This next segment, we have April Lauren. April and I met via support group on Facebook for people with health issues. So welcome to the show, April. Thank you. I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of it. So let's, let's just dive right in. What was your diagnosis? Kind of tell us a little bit about your health story. All right. Well, recently I was diagnosed with what is called Cushing's disease. And I'll go into that a little later of what exactly it is. What happened was about seven years ago, I was pregnant with my last child, my son. My pregnancy wasn't like any other pregnancy should be. Um, things started really happening that I, I couldn't understand and even the doctors really couldn't understand. So, you know, sometimes you have hair loss with all your hormones. So mm-hmm. I was losing handfuls of hair and it was just my first month of pregnancy. Okay. I was developing enormous amount of stretch marks all over my body, even though I hadn't um, really gained any weight. Mm-hmm. I, I developed them along my, and you know, doctors just kind of pushed it aside of, oh, it's hormones. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting really sick, poor like wound healing. My, uh, my skin started becoming thin. Mm-hmm. So after I had my son, I figured everything's going to go back. Now I had gained a pretty good amount with my son and with my daughter, my previous pregnancy, I was able to lose the weight pretty mm-hmm. pretty easy within a year. However, I did everything. I did every diet you can think of. I even did weight loss um, camps and boot camps. Mm-hmm. I went on every stupid diet you can think of, and I could not lose the weight. But then I started noticing my face started getting really kind of a swollen look. Yeah. And my family members would, would obviously tell me that they noticed something, and they were concerned that something was going on. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm having water retention. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the doctor said. Mm-hmm. I went to... My total time with doctors or my number of doctors I've gone through in the past couple of years was seven wow. just to try to figure out what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. I had doctors tell me, you know, you just need to lose weight. That's all you, you need to lose yeah. weight. And you, yeah, we've all heard this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you need to eat healthier. I swear they thought I sat on the couch eating Twinkies and Ding Dongs all day long. And they're the um, first person to tell you to eat healthy, right? <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> so I even kept a journal of, I I swear they just read it and just was like, I'm lying. Yeah. And I, I started running. I became a runner. I mean, I started being active, but my body was not um, responding to mm-hmm. what it, how it should. 
So I decided to go ahead and get what is called a mommy makeover. Okay. And so I had a tummy tuck thinking that's what I needed to get rid of this huge gut that I had that I couldn't get rid of. Mm -hmm. I had a breast reduction. Well, this is a part of Cushing's disease is poor healing. Mm-hmm. What happened was a few days after my surgery, I ended up in the hospital with a blood clot and my blood clot became a pulmonary embolism. Mm-hmm. So then while I was in the hospital, my wound in my stomach completely opened up into a huge open wound. Ooh. And I went through hell for the past couple months trying yeah. to figure out what I, what I did. I'm, I'm very hygienic. Like I, I didn't mm-hmm. know what had gone on. And later on, I'm going to find out that this is just a part of Cushing's disease, mm-hmm. is um, DVTs, um, things like that. And then my, I was um, diagnosed with high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. They threw me all sorts of pills, and nothing could get my blood pressure down to a healthy, safe level. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up having a stroke in my early, uh, well, was actually my late 20s. Wow. And so... You know, then they're once again the doctors are saying you just need to lose weight. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm trying. Yes. So yeah. I, you know, I ended up with um, the high blood pressure. The, I was obese. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, my joints, all my muscles started hurting. I was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. I continued losing my hair. I ended up losing about seventy percent of my hair mm-hmm. to where I had to wear wigs. Sleeping disorders. So I got mm-hmm. to the point where. I could not sleep past three, so I would wake up always at mm-hmm. three a.m. like the witching hour, oh, three a.m. Yeah, yeah. and and I could not sleep through the rest of the um, the night. So no matter what, if I went to bed at nine or like eleven o'clock, I would always wake up at three, no matter what. Oh wow! So and that went on for a couple of years. No matter what I did, I gained weight, mm-hmm. and I would know if my friends would eat like a pizza, a slice of pizza, or go drink a beer. I would know that I would gain at least three to four pounds the next day. That's mm-hmm. not how a normal human being's body should work. No. Cushing's disease, um, you have what is called high cortisol. Mm-hmm. So Cushing's disease um, produced a tumor on my pituitary gland. In doing that, it produced high cortisol in my body. Mm-hmm. So my body couldn't do what a normal body is doing. And that's it was killing itself slowly. Mm-hmm. You know, it was causing me to have the high blood pressure, the stroke. I was on the onset of heart disease. Mm-hmm. So what happened was after all these years of just being thrown pills and all of a sudden my period stopped. Mm-hmm. And I, I told my mom, I'm like, all right, there's something seriously wrong with me. If I'm my body can't even produce periods now, right. there's something going on. And so I went back and it's so funny. I went to a dermatologist because another thing was, is I had really bad adult acne and he had been giving me pills once again mm-hmm. to try to get rid of it. Pills like orally and then yeah. topically. And for years, nothing had helped. And he says, you know what? He was the one doctor that said, you know what? We need to find out what the source of this is because obviously medication is not working for your acne. This was right. just acne that finally helped me find out what was going on. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah, he suggested that I go get a blood screening panel that is for all your hormones. Mm-hmm. But it is a test that led me to my tumor. Mm-hmm. And there was something on that blood work. All my hormones were out of whack, but there was one specifically, and I'm sorry I can't remember it. Mm-hmm. He said, I think it's time for you to go see a specialist. Mm-hmm. So we found an endocrinologist, and his name is Dr. Litchfield. He is here in Las Vegas, and he is truly the one that saved my life. Mm-hmm. My health was deteriorating so fast after I stopped my period. Mm-hmm. I had broke two bones. I never broke a bone in my body. I broke two bones within two weeks. Wow. 
I was starting to lose just all my my ability to start walking without pain. Mm-hmm. And so I went in his office. He sat there for only five minutes. I really didn't have to say much. He just kind of mm-hmm. looked at me and he says, I know exactly what you have. You have what's called Cushing's disease. Mm-hmm. And in the back of my head, I'm like, great. He's just going to throw me more pills. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, when am I going to die? He had told me, he talked to me about the tumor that it creates on your brain, on mm-hmm. your pituitary gland. And so he wanted to do more testing. I remember going in my truck and I just sat there and I cried. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't crying because I was sad. I wasn't crying because I was scared. I was so happy yeah. that somebody had finally found the reasoning behind all of my mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. The thing was, is when, this is why I tell people to be your own doctor. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you a little story. When I had my stroke, I went to the emergency room and they told me my stroke was an anxiety oh. attack. So I went to my doctor and he says, you know, at the time I had good insurance, he says, well, let's go ahead and do an MRI. Mm -hmm. So they did find the MRI. On the MRI, they found the blood clot that caused Mm -hmm. my stroke. But here's the thing. They also found another shadow on my pituitary gland. And he says, not to worry. That's probably a prior stroke. People have strokes all the time. So they wrote it off as a stroke. <laughs> well, and that just act- the the people have strokes all the time. Like this is normal, and just live with yeah. it. And we're, we're, no, right? no concern. You're totally good. No, not mm. at all. That happened to be the tumor. Wow. And had they caught it four years earlier than what mm-hmm. they caught it, I could have prevented so much health issues. Yeah. And so when he did it, it had progressed a little further. Like they were able to measure it from what it mm-hmm. was prior. He was the one who found it. And I just remember him telling me, yeah, it's a tumor. You, you do. You have a, it's official. You have a tumor. Mm-hmm. But now it was, okay, how do we pay for the surgery? He's in mm-hmm. at my stage, I was, my body was killing itself. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and with the most serious eyes and he says, it's very urgent that we get you in and mm-hmm. have the surgery done. He basically let me know that the longer I wait, I might not make it another year mm-hmm. by how fast I was, you know, everything. Yeah. And so I found I wasn't able to find a surgeon here in, in Nevada. I had to go to a specialist, Dr. Daniel Kelly mm-hmm. in um, Santa Monica, and he's one of the top surgeons and his team was wonderful. I really, truly with Dr. Litchfield and Dr. Kelly, if it wasn't for those two doctors, I would not be here today. I yeah. every day was such a struggle just to survive. Mm-hmm. with doctors just keep throwing me pills and not mm-hmm. trying to find the actual source of it. Yeah. And so that's why I say for people to be their own doctor, had I looked at those radiologist reports for my first MRI, mm-hmm. it actually did state that there was a mass on my pituitary gland and further um, research should have been done. Mm-hmm. But my, my doctor didn't say that. So just listen to your body, listen to your instincts, mm-hmm. um, you know. Doctors don't always know. And Cushing's disease is, they say it's a rare disease. It's really not a rare disease. There are so many people out there that have it. Mm -hmm. They're just trying so hard to get a doctor to diagnose them and do the right test. A lot of doctors will be like, well, you don't have all of the symptoms of Cushing's disease. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not going to have it at the first beginning of, you know, you're not going to have all of them. You might have some. You know, it's almost like mm-hmm. they want you to wait till you're at the very end of your life to be like, yeah. oh, yeah, you do. So it is. It's a rare, relentless, real disease that takes a lot of lives. In fact, um, recently we've had a few Cushing's friends that have passed away. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have just passed away trying to get diagnosed, waiting yeah. to get diagnosed. But they pass away from heart attacks, strokes, DVTs, mm-hmm. pulmonary embolisms. So, um, Well, and the evil thing about 
this disease and, and several like it is the symptoms they blame on the patient all the time. Well, you're just eating poorly. You're not working out hard enough. You must be lying about that. You don't understand your own body. And um, I think that's that's the hardest thing. And then also, you know, for anybody who's going through weight loss issues, mm-hmm. um, you have family and friends that do the exact same thing to you. Mm-hmm. Self-esteem kind of gets <laughs> thrown away when you have, you yeah. know, even your your family. My mom, she constantly got on to me about my weight. In fact, mm-hmm. there was a guy I really liked and he was really good looking. And mm-hmm. I hear I am like obese. Mm-hmm. And she would look at me. She's like, honey. If you really want him, you know you've got to do something about your weight. Maybe you should start going to the gym. I was like, what? And then, yeah, I'm trying. And, and, you know, and then after surgery, she was the type that said, wow, you are beautiful. It was, it was actually wow. about a year. So it was almost a couple months ago. She said, mm-hmm. you are absolutely beautiful. And I asked her, I said, well, thanks, Mom. You've, you've never said that before. And she mm-hmm. says, well, let's be honest. There really wasn't anything to compliment. So I had, I have family. I know how it feels to have family and friends Mm -hmm. that don't, you know, that kind of, kind of nitpick at, Mm -hmm. you know, your looks. It's just hard. You need to surround yourself with people who will embrace you Mm -hmm. and love you for who you are and um, not continuously tell you you need to go to the gym or you need to eat healthy or why are you eating that piece of pizza? God forbid that I eat a freaking piece of pizza and live life. Oh, the judgment when you're overweight and you... And it doesn't have to be even significantly, just a little bit. People yeah. responding to you eating. Did you get self-conscious about eating in public? Did it change how you behaved in public? So at first it did. Mm-hmm. Um, the first few years it did. Like even eating, like taking my kids out to ice cream, I wouldn't eat ice cream with them. Mm-hmm. Or if I did, i just eat a few bites of theirs. Because mm-hmm. I would almost feel like people would look at you like, well, you're overweight. Why the heck are you eating that? Mm-hmm. And then it just got to the point where I just really didn't give a shit. <laughs> like, to yeah. be quite honest, I I learned how to love myself physically. Mm-hmm. I, I love myself inside. I just had to learn how to love my new, I considered it my new body. I was pretty much convinced that that was going to be who I was for the rest of my life with how mm-hmm. all the doctors were telling me. So you had to learn how to love yourself inside mm-hmm. and out. So I just really didn't care. And the thing, what's weird, so I've lost 70 pounds. Mm-hmm. I was 238, and I'm now 168. Wow. Congratulations. That's great. I, it also you. means you're healthy again, which is... Yeah. So all, yeah, that was the thing, is everything that I was going through, everything has corrected itself. Oh, so that's I'm no fantastic. longer diabetic. I'm no longer high blood pressure. Everything mm-hmm. is back to, I'm a normal, what I consider like a normal healthy person. But that's the thing is I went to loving myself as a big girl. I mm-hmm. really did. I was, even my friends would tell me that I have a really good self-esteem. But now that I've got this new body, it's weird. I'm having to learn to love my physical features mm-hmm. as a different person, like as a different body now. Even though it's a, I can't even say it's a better body. I have saggy skin now and mm-hmm. and scars. But you know what? I embrace it now. I'm learning mm-hmm. to embrace it because it tells a story. It does. And and so whether you be too skinny, too fat, lose all the weight and you have the scars and you have the marks and you have, mm-hmm. you have to find it in yourself to just love who you are. Look in the mirror and mm-hmm. just love who you are. I'm the type of person who really embraces life. And I thought I was before. Mm-hmm. And now I realize how important life is. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that got me through were my kids. I wanted to make yeah. sure I was here for my kids. I remember hugging them and kissing them goodbye before my surgery. Mm. The worst feeling in the world is to hug your child and not know if you're going to wake up to see him again. Yeah. 
And my son, he was in his dad's truck and he, I remember he rolled down the window and he's like, bye mom, I love you. Mm-hmm. And I just remember when I went into the OR and mm-hmm. the anesthesiologist asked me what makes me happy. I said, my kids. She's like, I just want you to think about that and you're going to go to sleep and you're going to wake up and you're, you're going to just remember your kids. Mm-hmm. And so... They got me through it, and also mm-hmm. just the passion of life. You know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. and you just have to fight for it, and you um, you have to know that it's there. And life is really good. Yeah. You just have to remember that and remind yourself. Like today, I kind of feel bad. I w- I've kind of had like a lazy day, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking to myself, there are so many people that don't even get this day. Yeah. And, you know, they don't get that day. So you have to really, I, I do, I really embrace every day I can and mm-hmm. I appreciate life because I know how fast it can be taken away. I've been on yeah. death's door many times. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I do appreciate life and that's something that we all need to remember. A lot of folks going through this, especially when you're heavier and the doctors like to blame everything on weight loss, you know, you just need to lose weight and you're just not disciplined enough. It's your fault. When you're getting all of those messages and you know something's wrong with your body, like you know Mm -hmm. they're wrong. Doctors hate it when, you know, saying your Google hole doesn't trump my education. And it's like, yes, (laughs) but your one hour class you texted through doesn't trump my 40 years in my body. Like Exactly. (laughs) How do you not get amazingly discouraged and just say screw it there's never going to be any help because you went through seven doctors that's a lot of doctors writing you off it is a lot of doctors and that's the thing is you just have to fight for your life and that's what Mm -hmm. that's what my disease is it's a fight and it's it's a fight that some people win and some people lose Mm -hmm. and i was um i wasn't going to let it do me in i was determined bound and determined to find a reason because I knew. I knew that there's a reason why I'm gaining weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, there's, and just trying to fight to find the right doctor. And I know there are so many people out there. I'm on a, I'm on a support group, mm-hmm. and I think that's where we found each other. Yeah. So I want to kind of say it's called Cushioning Support Group. It's on Facebook. There's mm-hmm. over six thousand members, and so I encourage anybody who's listening to this that mm-hmm. thinks that you know this could be a possibility to go on that support group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people that'll help you. I am always mm-hmm. constantly tagged in a lot of posts being like, well, April has this answer, maybe. Or, <laughs> April's gone through this. Yeah, and, you're, you're wonderful support on there. And I'll, I'll mention to the audience, it's worldwide. Like, yeah. we have people around the world on this board who are, who are going through the same thing. Yes, everywhere. You know, I encourage people to go on there, ask questions, ask a test. You know, if you've mm-hmm. had tests done, what test, what more other tests you can. And it's not asking your doctor. It's demanding it from exactly. your doctor. And, you know, it's worth it. Even if you have to save some money, if your mm-hmm. insurance doesn't pay for it, it is worth it because it will save your life. We're going to wrap it up. If people want to connect with you, if they want to find you, if they want to find the Cushion Support Group, what's the best way for people to reach out? Okay, well, if you want to get on the Cushing Support Group, it's just that you go on Facebook and you type in Cushing Support Group. That's C-U-S-H-I-N-G-S Support Group. And there's one main one. And like I said, there's over Mm -hmm. 6,000 members on there. You will find every answer almost to your questions that you can. If you want to just look me up, I'm April Loren at Facebook. And if you have any questions or you need just um, just guidance of where else you can go for answer, I would be more than happy to help you. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was wonderful to connect with you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. 
Okay. Welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. We have a very special guest with us, David Lorette Zamola, and he's joining us for Because I Got High. One thing we do during Because I Got High that is very important is we eat. Are you hungry, sir? Uh, Yeah, I came with a full stomach. Nope, not a full stomach. An (laughs) empty stomach, the exact opposite of a full stomach. And today, we are featuring two types of empanadas. I did a tomato jam empanada, which are the little ones on top. And in the back are sweet potato and pea curry empanadas. That's what I want. Oh, my gosh. And if you want the recipe, you can go to fatchicks.com to our extra links and resources. And there are videos. Mm -hmm. And if you join our patron account, not only do you get to see the recipe, you get to see me make it in an apron and very little else. Ooh. Ooh. I need to. It's worth five dollars a month. Go go to our Patreon account. That'll be good. Well, I'm going to subscribe right now. I'll be right back. <laughs> so help yourself. Right. Oh, I was going to say, like, I'm just I'm just going to jump in. Yes, please do. Hold on, just like zoom in. <laughs> that part. Oh, oh. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't taste like tomato. It's more like red fruits, like berries, yeah. and yeah. We actually, it reminds me of, um, my mom used to make empanadas. Yeah? It reminds me of those. Nice. Oh, yeah. you just leveled up to mom level. <laughs> right? That like, that's a compliment. Legit, I'm not being paid for this. Like, <laughs> yes. It's okay. It's okay, mom. Don't worry. We're just- <laughs> we'll share. <laughs> <laughs> we may send them home if there's any left. Mm-hmm. So, David, mm-hmm. we are here today to talk about what it is to be big, healthy, mm. beautiful, empowered. Tell us about your big boy journey. What's up? Um, yeah, I've been big ever since I was a little kid. And um, basically, I <clears throat> got a little bit of that in my throat. Um, yeah, been big ever since I was a kid. Big through high school, dealing with all the fun of being big in high school with the kids who decide to make comments and such on it. Um, felt down on it for a long time. Beat myself up for it a long time. Like to the point where I lost 60 pounds. And then I noticed that everybody liked me when I got really pissed off and I put all that weight back on. Um, almost out of spite, almost like as a, you know, fuck you. And um, yeah, and here I am. I just got a gym membership, though, and nice. it's not doing it for anyone else but this guy right here. It's you. <laughs> so one of the reasons we wanted to have you on mm-hmm. is I know um, getting health care when you're bigger mm-hmm. can be bigger. Mm-hmm. Jenny and I have talked about it on the show. Um that it can be a struggle because all the doctors can see are the numbers on the scale. Mm-hmm. So everything is, well, lose weight and you're fine. Mm-hmm. Like, lose weight and you're fine. And it's like, no, you, we missed a brain tumor. We'll lose weight and we would have missed it. Mm-hmm. So have you had problems getting health care? Are, are they different with men? or? Um, no, it's pretty much the exact same thing. Um, I had my first doctor's appointment in a long time, far longer than probably it should have been. Um, and I go in. And I have sleep apnea. I have major depression. I've had this for years. And um, the doctor looks at me and goes, well, sometimes, you know, sleep apnea leads to weight gain as well as depression leads to weight gain. And, you know, uh, sleep is a vital process of the losing weight process. And um, but I just want to see you try to lose weight. And I just like want you've to never, never thought about that in your like, life. This you is know the first I mean? time. And, and like, I have the energy to just like go out cause I can't sleep, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, her solution was to just try harder to lose weight. And then I would lose weight, even though I didn't come in there, by the way, for any of that, I came in there 
to get a sleep study and to get just a physical. Right. <laughs> yeah. And she she acted like I I had tried to get Percocets off of her. Like that was the kind of attitude. I'm like, I'm not looking for drugs. I'm looking for a study so I could sleep like a normal human being. Well, and it's well documented <laughs> that if you have sleep apnea, it becomes amazingly difficult to lose weight yeah. because your body doesn't get rid of the cortisol overnight and it yeah. can keep it on. And that's the crazy part is that she recognized that. She said it out loud, completely just like you need to try harder and just shat on science. <laughs> like her entire profession just yeah, went out the door just, because yeah. the numbers went she where she wanted. She has a little bias them. against big people. <laughs> yeah. So... One of the things that I've noticed when I go to my doctors is when they bring it up, it's like the first time anybody's ever talked to you about your weight. Like, mm-hmm. for some reason, yeah. this is going to be a yeah. big surprise. <laughs> like, fat people are supposed to be hermits and not connected to society in any way. How did they bring it up with you? Uh, uh, with her, it was kind of blunt. But in the past, I've had like this sit down. So just to let you know, you're a little overweight. <laughs> yeah, one of those talks. Wow. But um. And she did some kind of similar, but she was a little more blunt with it, which I appreciate. I like bluntness when it comes to people and human beings in general. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Are you focused on the scale or those numbers or it's just no, it's like, a journey? I'm. How long are you committed to doing this? Um, Have you set a goal? Not really, actually. Like last time when I lost 60 pounds, it was just like, I want to lose some shirt sizes. I just want to lose some... Mm-hmm pant sizes and fit into some of the stuff that's in my closet and you know when i fit into that that's pretty much where i'm gonna be <laughs> i i have some pictures of you yeah from, from then and i remember your your journey then and it didn't seem like it was something that was hard excessively for you then mm. you, and you just was kind of you were melting away yeah and my thing was like i didn't do a diet a strict one at least uh, i just did what I wanted. If I wanted to eat a little bit more today, sure. Why the fuck not? And you know, if I if it takes six months to get what could have gotten me there in three months, it's all good. It's a journey. <laughs> and you mentioned you have major depression. Yeah. How does that play into how you see yourself? Like mm. when you're not in a, a depressive phase, are you more self confident about your body, or does it reverse? Like, is there any interplay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I'm going through a depression phase, I mean, everything about me is just kind of like, eh, fuck that guy uh, but, uh, in the mirror. But um, I tend to stop caring about if I was on a diet. I tend to stop caring about being on the diet, exercising hard. I kind of fall back from that because along with the emotional side of, of major depression, you also get like a lack of energy and a lack of shit giving about anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you find like exercise wise that does help you with mm. your depression? I find like walking and yeah. like even if I can get up to like kind of a jog at this point, it's not for long. That's that's not happening. <laughs> but like those endorphins really kick in for me and I'm like, oh yeah, I can manage this day. Yeah. Um a, a big piece for me is I, I call it emotional momentum or just momentum period where I have a good day to start off with. And I use like taking a shower as momentum to do a little bit more. So I do a short walk. And then by the end of it, I'm like, usually in a place where I go, you know what? I could walk a little bit further than just like a, a five minute deal. And then yeah. keep that going. Well, and I, I have bipolar one. Mm. And I know just being able to get out and exercise all of a sudden it's like, okay, so my life isn't complete shit. Yeah. I mean, it may be 90% right? shit, but yeah. I walked. So it's a little less shit. Yeah, yeah. And it, it does help get those brain chemicals and stuff back online for me yeah 
I used to be a, um, a wrestler in high school, so I'm very used to someone kind of barking orders at me to run and just being <laughs> able to go with it. So anytime I'm with like a personal trainer or anything like that helps a whole bunch. Feel really accountable yeah. in like those and settings. I just feel like I'm part of a, a team. You know, and that's what I'm used to functioning in is a, a well-oiled machine that runs together and does all that stuff. I don't function well. <laughs> <laughs> you are not going to tell me what to do. Depends no. on who you are when you tell me what to do. Right? <laughs> Sometimes I do it. <laughs> Assless chaps, you can tell me whatever you want. <laughs> How big is your flogger? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things you've been open about and you've talked about is being asexual. Mm. And all the non-binary stuff is starting to get a little more play these days. Um, asexuals are still not particularly visible. Mm -hmm. They tend still not to be in the long list of genders that you can check off on forums and stuff. Um, and so for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, what is asexuality? Um, okay. This is the way I love breaking it down uh -huh. for straight men. So for cis men. Um, it's real, real easy. In that. Hmm? That. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the, no. the hyper short way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the real simple way is uh, for cis men, I go, do you have uh, female friends? And they go, yeah, yeah, I have female friends. Do you want to have sex with your female friends? And most of them go like, oh, yeah, totally. And I go, okay, okay. Do you have male friends? And I go, yeah, yeah, I've got male friends. Do you want to have sex with your male friends? And I go, no. I say, apply that to everybody. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a pretty good way of explaining it. Like... I just don't care unless for me, um, I call myself asexual just because it's an easier designation than having to explain Demi. But I'm really more Demi, which mm -hmm. is um, I need a strong emotional connection with someone before I even start to give a shit about. So like hookups on, on, on Tinder, one night stands, not your thing. I've tried it. Uh -huh. And let me tell you about oh. it. <laughs> um, so I, I went, I went to their house or her house. And um, knocked on the door, and immediately I was just like, why am I here? And um, it turned into, like, I turn away, and she opens the door, like, while I'm starting to walk away. And um, we ended up talking for an hour and a half about oh, her nice. trauma mm -hmm. and being in well, this situation. Right. And um, kind of like she changed her whole life after that, because no one had ever introduced the idea that you could say no to people to uh -huh. her before. So a Tinder date changed somebody's life. Well, like, that right. is in a good way. In a good like, way. Like, that's yeah. unusual. It was really that's weird. fantastic. Because at the time, she had been letting people kind of just come in, do their thing, leave with mm -hmm. no respect, no regard for who she was at any time of the day, no matter how busy she was. So it was kind of like, I, I looked at her and went, okay, I need to offend you for a second. I'm really sorry. It's okay to say no. You know that, right? And she goes, you know, I know that makes sense, but like, wow. <laughs> you know, that's just amazing. Even, yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of people have that experience, like, especially as a woman, you're like supposed to be available. Obligated. All, like if once somebody's there, like the, you're always taught, well, don't shave your legs. Don't take them back to your house. If you do, then, then you, it's, it's done. That's a done deal. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Yeah. Never. Yeah. <laughs> don't leave your drinks alone. No nightcap. <laughs> Right. Well, very cool. Very cool. So you perform a lot. I do. A ton. Um, <laughs> do you ever think about how you look on stage? How do you put you like you have the mask and stuff? Like, how did you come into your stage oh, persona? Um, sloppily. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, it was um, this mask actually uh -huh. was from my first partner. Um, they 
bought it. We went to a Ren fair together, and we have a friend who makes masks, mm-hmm. work, works with leather. Shout out to uh, Mad Zanny Masks. And, um, and I just fell in love with it, like, from afar, so they bought it for me. And uh, I decided that I want it to be important, and so I started using it when I perform. I made a whole right. one-man show about it uh, relating to depression and... It was called um, Things to Do When You Die. And then this happened, the vest happened, and um, I have a gold hood that I just looked at it. I was like, you know, it fits really well with the gold. Why Mm -hmm. not? Yeah. Just slowly piecing everything together. I love the glove. Oh, yeah. The glove's awesome. So, okay. Uh, I just recently changed the glove, actually. So it's not like a gold fingerless glove. Oh. It's this, like, fishnet thing that rings around the ring, that rings around the middle finger and then goes down like a little... Yeah, I know. It makes me a little less intimidating and look less like a 80s thug. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Sounds great. Or a bicycle messenger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I, the fingerless gloves, that's what I associate it with. <laughs> um, so, you also are Cuban-American. Yeah. And you have talked about your your history and your ethnicity and stuff. Um, are there different expectations culturally? Like, mm. you know, main U.S. culture, we kind of have the standard, what's supposed to be pretty thin, you know, straight nose, blue eyes, blonde hair. Um, growing up and understanding multiple cultures, is there a difference for you? Or is there oh. a different aesthetic? Or is it all? I'm a little bit weird because it's uh, a bit of a weird, well, I'm a weird person. Also a weird circumstance because it's... I didn't really grow up with in social circles because my family moved around a lot. That's part of uh, uh, an experience I hear is common with first generation parents who like my dad's an actual refugee from Cuba um, and he's just moved around a lot his whole life. So I've never really had like a close circle of friends until rather recently. Um, So I don't really I've always been looking into culture instead Mm -hmm. of out of it. So I don't really have a judge. And especially being asexual, it's kind of like, I don't, yeah. (laughs) In certain platforms, um, you know, as we perform and things like that, some people are actually surprised when they hear that you are Cuban American (laughs) or uh, not, not white. Um, And how do you, how do you get over presenting white and educating people not coming off as frustrated because you have such a good energy about it? I mean, it comes from just a, a place of, I understand that people won't learn if you aren't patient with them and if you don't show them love and if you just come at them immediately with a, you know what, fuck you, you're doing this wrong. Nobody pays attention to that, <laughs> you know? So um, for me, it's just a, oh yeah, this is my dad and I kind of introduce who my dad is, what his history is, how he was involved in the revolution with my grandma, um, his story of coming overseas and my grandma on my mom's side of being born in Mexico city, coming to America, you know, and then people usually accept it after that, but it's, it's definitely a, a standoff at first of prove it. Right. 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 So now is the point on, because we got high, we have some standard questions. Yes. So the first standard question on, because we got high is what is the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? (laughs) Oh, so much, right? Um, the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten is uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps or any any similar fucking logic. It, no, that's not how it works. You don't just one day go, you know what? I'm going to decide to be happy and drop all this mental health shit out of my head. It's all been made up, right? No, um, it's I've been studying my major depression for about 15 years 
And it's a slow process and you have to do the work or else you just keep falling apart and you don't understand why. Yeah. So that's the worst piece of advice I ever got was pull yourself up. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm there with you. Exactly. So what's something that you recommend everyone try in their lifetime? Ooh. Um, something that everyone should try in their lifetime. I would say being single and not Good one. giving two shits. Like turning people down when they ask if they want to date you. Um, I've watched it change so many people's lives just because you stop going like, de- you stop depending on people for your satisfaction mm-hmm. and you start going like, wait, what can I do to make myself happy right now? Self-love. You know what I, yeah. yeah. You know what I really want? I, I want a fucking sandwich and <laughs> I want it from this place and I don't need someone to come with me just so I could feel validated in getting the damn sandwich. Yep. I'm watching Deadpool by myself on Monday. Fuck all y'all if you want to judge me on that. (laughs) (laughs) What are you grateful for? Uh, I mean, this, obviously. (laughs) Like, seriously, though, the the Sacramento arts community, specifically this person right here who's gotten me into spoken word and really um, did so much to make sure that I'm a part of this. We love you. Like, you are awesome. It was um, hearing your pieces in the beginning. Like, I definitely that spoken word vibe from them like no and i'm like yeah let's just string some stuff together in conscious thought you you have something here and Um, you have a new title yeah i do the grand slam champion of sacramento you are the grand slam champion congratulations that's crazy Um, that's awesome yeah like it's been a it's been a crazy year. Um, my brother passed away about eight months ago, as of the recording time, and uh, so I kind of dedicated that to him. I uh, had the whole crowd say his name, and um, yeah, yeah, it's been wild because, like, legit, the last conversation I had with my brother, he was saying that you know he because he never fully understood it mm-hmm. what I was going for, and he said you need to, but he said I, I've seen what you're trying to do, and I appreciate it, and you need to keep going with it. Yeah, and I was like. Okay, fuck her. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> and last and more importantly, uh, what is your go-to munchy food? I want to know when you got high and just on the regular. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that one. Um, so, so go-to munchy food lately has been like seaweed snacks. Oh, okay. Which is oddly healthy for me. Um, but typically, like, I go in on Reese's peanut butter cups, oh. or even better, the Butterfinger version of oh, that. Yeah, it's got the little crunchy bits. Yes. Um, yeah, that's that's my shit. So on the seaweed snacks, my sister's so my sister's trying to lose weight and all of that. So she swapped out like once a week or so. She'd go to the vending machine at work and get herself a Snickers bar and a Diet Coke. So she swapped out the Snickers bar for kale chips. Mm. And she texts me one afternoon. She's like, "Becky, you know what really doesn't satisfy?" Kale, kale chips. chips. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, uh, you know, I used to hate kale chips until I really sat down and like, it's all about the context going into it. Like if you, if you're sitting there and you're opening the bag and you're mm-hmm. going, it's going to be shit and I'm just going to get through it and then uh, whatever. You're still thinking about the Snickers bar in the back of your head. Yeah, my, <laughs> yeah. my nephew's five. Yeah. He didn't, he doesn't eat a ton of the junk food. He will cry when they run out of seaweed, snacks, and kombucha. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> fucking San Francisco children. Oh he threw a tantrum because they were out of kombucha and, and seaweed snacks. Wow. I'm like, nah, 
Uh, so I don't recognize when that. When he hits his rebellious stage, he's going to be all over popcorn and chips and yeah. <laughs> Doritos. Oh, yeah. Those sound good. We cry if there's not salad in our house. <laughs> Fat people eat salad, too. They a do. Lot. Yeah. So... If people want to find out what you're doing, follow you, come out, see you perform, where should they go? Where should they f- sign up? Where are you on social media? Uh, gosh, so I've got a website and yes, poetry.com. That's A-N-D-Y-E-S poetry. Hopefully you know how to spell poetry.com. Um, and then I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter as the same exact thing at and yes, poetry. And gigs in July and August? Uh, gigs in July and August. Well, I'm going to be with a certain group. He's going to be at the National Ooh. Poetry Slam in Chicago from August 9th to August 13th, for sure. Absolutely. And I'm also getting a, uh, I'm also getting funding from the city of Sacramento to take three youth poets and mentor them on the professional side of poetry. It's awesome. called Operation Free Soul. We'll have shows coming up. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Do you, do you know what youth you're going to be working with yet? I do. Uh, Calypso king and alex cuevas oh nice. three, that's, like that's power hitters there's so, our amazing. youth poets in the city are amazing they are and um i wish i could take more because there's oh my god well and calypso <laughs> is now your teammate for yeah. the national yeah. slam yeah. that's your awesome now. yeah Familia. Well, thank you so much for being on of Fat course, Chicks and Because course. We Got High. Yes. <laughs> we're going to cut the video and then we're going to finish off the empanadas. Okay. Hey. I'm going to get high. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. This has been a Fat Chicks on Top production with your hosts, Auntie Vice and Jenilyn. Thank you to our sound engineer, Sharon Smith, and David Manga for our awesome music. For all things Fat Chicks, we're on every social media platform. For full interviews and explicit content, please subscribe to our Patreon.